Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to episode of Living Loud Outdoors. On the mic with you, it's Saturday. It's story time. We're going to complete the chapter that we are in on when heaven and hell collide. Uh, we'll get through the end of this one today. And, and again, I hope you're pulling some information out of this. Uh, again, these are probably worthy of, of taking notes with them when you listen to them because there's so much material uh, and so much history involved in this that I think we all need to gather uh, everything that we can from this. So picking up where we left off, we are guilty. It is easy when we study church history to judge and criticize all of our church fathers, whether they are Catholics, Protestants, Evangelicals, or otherwise. We could even find cause to criticize recent spiritual movements. However, this criticism only ensures that we too will fall short. There is a difference between criticism and the righteous judgment that we must use to remove sin from the camp. Even in the most terrible evil resident in the main man of sin is the sin of man that is in all of us. We all desire the worship of ourselves, influence, authority, and the chief seat of honor. If we no longer have these evil motives, it is only because the grace of God has delivered us. If we begin to think that we no longer have these evil desires because we ourselves are good, we have at that point departed from grace, and they will come back like a flood. One of the most tragic mistakes that we can make is to look at the sins of our forefathers and think that we are better than they were. We must not consider the sins of a historic church or the contemporary church as their problem, but as our problems. If we are ever going to receive deliverance from the sins that are passed from generation to generation, it will come when we humble ourselves, identifying with the tragic evils that we, the church, have committed. We must repent and seek the Lord for grace from these tragic historic sins of the church. The whole world was wounded and cursed by the fall of Adam, who is the forefather of us all. The Lord Jesus, even though he was completely innocent, identified with the whole sin of man taking it upon himself so that he could make restitution. How much more should we be able to identify with the sins of the world, humbling ourselves and repenting for the sins of mankind, interceding to release the forgiveness that Jesus purchased for the whole world? What we release in the heavens, this way will be released upon the earth. It is in this spirit, not condemning, but rather seeking to bring restoration and reconciliation that we will continue to examine some of the gates through which hell has gained access or influence into the church. As the Lord Jesus himself warned, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate that is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and many are those who enter by it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and few are those who find it. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistle, are they? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but the rotten tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. It's Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 through 20. Can good and evil come out of the same tree? Yes, just as they may both come from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. However, good fruit and bad fruit cannot come from the same tree. A foundation for some of the greatest errors the church has ever fallen into is the failure to understand that the good 
from the tree of knowledge is just as deadly as the evil that comes from the same tree. The knowledge of good and evil has the same root, and its fruit will result in death regardless of whether it comes in a good form or an evil form. Human goodness is as deadly a poison as any human evil. Once we understand that the good from the tree of knowledge is just as deadly as the evil, we also begin to recognize that it is far more deceptive and therefore has been far more successful in spreading death. One of the ultimate issues facing every Christian is how to discern between what is good and what is God. Only that which originates with God will give life. Because this difference between the tree of life of the tree of knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life is covered by the depth and I in my book there were two trees in the garden I will not belabor this point any more here however we must understand this as the reason behind the lord's continued discourse not everyone who says to me lord lord will enter the kingdom of heaven but he who does the will of my father who is in heaven many will say to me on that day lord lord did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Matthew 7, verse 21 through 23. This warning highlights several startling, startling facts. First, we can call Jesus Lord continually, but not enter his kingdom. Second, we can do many great works using his name and still not enter, because we are in fact practicing lawlessness. This corroborates the Lord's warning in Matthew chapter 24, verse 5, For many will come in my name, saying, I am Jesus the Christ, and will mislead many. This text has often been quoted as meaning that many would come claiming to be the Christ and mislead many. But the fact that that is not, in fact, what it says. He is literally saying that many will come in his name, saying that he, Jesus, is the Christ, and yet will be deceivers who mislead many. History has adequately verified this in many Christian leaders who have arisen, claiming to come in the name of Jesus and declaring him to be the Christ, and yet have mislead, misled multitudes. How could the church, which is God's planning, bring forth such evil and such good fruit in history? First, the church is the world, is not just a single plant. The Apostle Paul called the church God's field, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9. In this field, many theologies have been planted. Some are good and some are evil, some for life and some that have brought forth death. The Lord himself warned that every time he planted wheat in a field, the enemy would come along and plant tares in the same field. One of our tragic mistakes is that we have failed to judge the fruit of many of the theologies and doctrines that have been sown in the church. It is right that we challenge them with the scriptures, but some doctrines which appear to be biblical can still bring forth evil fruit. The enemy himself used scripture in this way to tempt Jesus. And the enemy himself will often come to us with scripture to tempt us. That is why the Lord never said that we would know his people by how biblical they were, but by their fruit. The evil root. There has been one doctrine that has proven to be the most devastating throughout history, and it was a main source of all the tragic follies discussed in this section. It is still one of the most popular teachings or emphasis in the church today, this is basically the delusion that, in, that we can accomplish the purposes of God by might and power. However, as the prophet solemnly warned, it is not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts, Zechariah 4.6. The Lord is called by many titles in Scripture, and each one is used strategically. 
It is no accident that he calls himself the Lord of hosts or the Lord of armies in this text. His army does not use military might or political power, but that which is infinitely more powerful, the spirit of truth. The truth spoken under the anointing is more powerful than all of the weapons and bombs this world can muster. Why is it that we have to been entrusted with the most powerful weapons of all, continually stooped to using those which are so inferior? As the apostle warned, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we're taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And we are ready to punish all disobedience whenever your obedience is complete. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3-6 When our obedience is complete, that is, when we are completely yielded to the Spirit, learning not to war in the flesh, but only according to His weapons that are not carnal, will we be ready to punish all disobedience. However, the church is not just called to do something, but to follow the Lamb where He is going. One of the reasons for the Laodicean spirit that prevails in much of the church is because she is simply worn out from all of the causes and projects that have not borne true spiritual fruit. Activism, that is, not in submission to him, will ultimately result in even greater retreat by those who are injured by the extremes, and there will be injury. We need zeal, but for the Lord and his purposes. Anything less is merely zealotry which is just another form of humanism, even fanaticism. Regardless of how righteous the goals are, it is not just sacrifice, but obedience that counts. And that will bring us to chapter 12. We'll finish that next week. A little bit of a short warning today. What a powerful piece of, of, of knowledge that we're giving here. I love how this ends. It is not just sacrifice, but it's obedience that counts. Uh, just a, a personal reflection to add to this today. Uh, I was youth pastor in Durango and had not been there very long. We had sold all of our property um, here in Oklahoma. We had we had literally everything we had we 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 got rid of and we moved lock, stock, and barrel into ministry in, in Durango, Colorado. It was my first uh, step into full time ministry. We had not been there very long um, into a year and a half. When the church had gone through some turmoil, some changes had taken place, and some families had left, and my youth department had dwindled, uh, the church itself in numbers had dwindled some, and the pastor called me into the office and regretfully informed me that they were going to have to let me go because they simply couldn't afford to keep me on staff. Uh, it wasn't anything that I was doing wrong. Uh, he, matter of fact, he applauded me for what I had done there, uh, and, and I had accomplished what he had called me there to do. But I felt like a failure. I, I really felt like um, that I had failed the Lord. And, and I was standing on the platform on a Sunday morning during worship and, and in that mindset thinking, God, I, I, I'm, I've failed. I'm an absolute failure. And, and I was distraught because I, I didn't really know what to do. It wasn't like we could just come home because we didn't have a home to come home to. And God asked me a question on that platform that morning. He said, what do you, what do you measure? How do you measure success? I, of course, I didn't know the answer to that. And it took a couple of weeks of me mulling over this question. And, you know, you think of success in church, you think of success in ministry. We think of, obviously, full churches. Uh, we, we think of, of, of 
altars filled with people crying out to God. We souls saved, the, the tithes and offerings are abundant, and people coming and lives being changed. I mean, we, that's how we view success. And two weeks, standing on the platform again on a Sunday morning, two weeks after that question was posed to me by God, he gave me an answer. He simply said to me, that is not how I measure success. I measure success by your obedience to my calling. That, that's ultimately what we're after here. We're to be obedient to the Word of God, obedient to His calling, obedient to His wooing of the Spirit, to follow Him, to keep our eyes on Jesus. Anything else, anything less than that is, is going to be folly, is, is how he describes it in his book here. So keep that in mind as you process over this chapter, as we continue on with our epic battles of the last days by Rick Joyner. What, what an incredible reading. I, I know it's not like some of the others we've read. This is more kind of toe-stomping, shin-kicking going on here. But we need this. We need to understand what it means for, for, for us to truly enter in and to engage in spiritual warfare that brings about kingdom results. Anything else doesn't matter. We need kingdom results. And the only way to get that is being obedient to Christ and His calling. Amen. Ron and I love you. Thank you so much for your support. Thank you for following along with us on our podcast. God bless you guys. Father's Day is tomorrow. Uh, I've got a message I'll be working over tonight, just going back over some notes that I feel prepared to bring to you tomorrow. Um, I'm excited. I'm excited about tomorrow. So God bless you guys. Have an incredible rest of your weekend. We love you. We'll talk to you again real soon.